welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. In today's episode, I interview Joe Connolly, founder and CEO of Visana Health, an app that supports women who are experiencing menstrual pain. Joe's mother suffered most of her life from endometriosis and was a wasn't diagnosed for 25 years. 25 years this woman suffered. After six years as a biomedical engineer at Boston Scientific, Joe took matters into his own hands with the creation of Visana Health. Visana Health is a startup out of Minneapolis that empowers the 15 million women in the US, 15 million, with severe menstrual pain to take control of their healthcare. Visana Health provides an engaging digital care program that teaches clinically proven self-pain management habits and provides a list of vetted physicians who listen to patients' concerns about their menstrual pain. These are doctors that actually believe women when they say their pain is unmanageable and it's not just in their head. In this episode, we talk about being a man in the femtech community. This is our first man on the podcast. Super excited about that. The biology of endometriosis, which as a scientist was probably one of my favorite parts of this episode, and the social implications of not believing women when they say they're experiencing physical pain. How did you get into startups? You don't see too many people that have PhDs that dive right into startups. <laughs> That's a good question. I um, I just am a nerd like deep down, I fell in love with DNA when I was 13 when we learned about the cell and mitochondria. And I'm just a little weirdo who loves biology like so much that I have like, my dog's name is Tripson, my other dog's name is Cork. <laughs> like I have DNA helix on my arm. Like I just love it so much. But when I was pursuing my PhD, I realized at that point that I had way too much personality for the laboratory and that I wouldn't be happy in my life working in a lab. And so I started to explore like other careers and joined some other groups at my school. And I realized that the startup community was my tribe. And so um, I started my first company called Faramore, which is a DNA-based dating app. And then I you know, fundraised, built, grew, launched that, did that for three years. And then last year I started working at a venture capital firm and like mentoring founders and so that's, I don't know how I got here. Just essentially, I just kept falling into <laughs> new adventures. And um, this last adventure is that over the last year, I have read about femtech and I'm just totally obsessed with it, totally in love with it. It is like a perfect industry for myself because it's, um, there's a lot of healthcare and there's a lot of science, you know, knowing about hormones and psychology. And so there's a lot of science to it that I love, but there's also a lot of like fighting a good fight of like, empowering women of which I totally love. And then also, you know, I feel like there's a certain personality you have to have when you want to talk about vaginas in public. 
and I have <laughs> I have that personality. I'm totally fine with talking about you know vaginas and breasts in public, and um, so that like trifecta of things, it just it just makes me really excited. Yeah, it's crazy. I still to this day when I see some people's faces when I say like menstruation, heavy menstrual bleeding, it's just like, what are you saying? To yes. Me right now? <laughs> Yeah, I'm so excited that you are not just um, a man in femtech who's doing something like breast cancer, you know, where it's still not as yeah. weird. I'm so excited to talk to you about women's flows, you know, as a man, <laughs> as a man. It's awesome. Tell us about your background. Yeah, so my background is actually in biomedical engineering. So I'm a total nerd and I just love healthcare and always knew that I wanted to be in the space and that I wanted to be a creator and inventing. So that's why I didn't originally go to medical school. Um, so after my degrees, I ended up working at Boston Scientific where I was working on exploratory R&D. So brand new cardiovascular devices, brand new oncology devices specifically. And part of what I was doing there was working on brand new things that weren't medical devices too. And so that's how I got into digital health because I started to see the power of digital health solutions, how they could improve patient experience, how they could drive huge improvements in the healthcare system in terms of clinical outcomes and economic outcomes as well. And, and then what happened? <laughs> You're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I started to get really passionate about that and um, so this kind of even goes back even further in how Visana Health came to be, but my mom growing up, whenever she would have her period, she would just have absolutely awful pain. Mm. Like she would be bed bound. She would be screaming and crying. I have these very, very vivid memories of her literally screaming. And I just thought that's what periods were. She's really that I come from a family of men and my mom. And so I just thought that was completely normal. And that's what periods were. And she would go to the doctor and they would just kind of say, you know, take some ibuprofen mm. and go home and then you'll be totally fine. You know, just tough it out. Everybody's period hurts. And so eventually this kept going and kept going. And she kept going to the doctor and she got so lucky one day because her regular doctor who she was supposed to see was out sick. Mm -hmm. And she saw a different doctor who said, you know, I think you have endometriosis. My wife had this and she had all the same symptoms that you have. Wow. And so that's originally how she got diagnosed at the age of 45. She was so close to menopause. And so they wow. ended up talking, you know, do you want to have this surgery that we could do? Do you not want to have this surgery? Um, she opted to have the surgery, even though she only had about five years until menopause, uh, just because she was so sick of all the pain that she was in. And, um, you know, looking back on it, it was, it changed her life when she got diagnosed. She lost years and years of her life to this disease. And so, what I ended up doing was quitting my job at Boston Scientific because I started to think about, you know, with these digital health solutions, you can really empower patients to take control of their health care. Um, the idea that if you educate them about their disease and about their treatment options, if they aren't getting the right treatment, they are going to want to take it into their own hands and really drive healthcare forward. Um, it also came because I started to toss this idea to, around to some of my female friends and just Incidentally, I didn't even know this 
many of my female friends had endometriosis and mm-hmm. they were like, you have to do this. This is, you know, I wish I had this, you know, a lot of them had just had surgery or just gone through this whole process. They're like, this is still happening today. This wasn't some relic of ancient times. It's still very much a stigmatized and under-recognized disease. I have so many questions about endometriosis <laughs> and periods and stuff, but let's tell our listeners a little bit. So you're the founder of Visana Health. So yep. what is Visana Health? So Visana Health is a digital care program for women that have endometriosis. So it is an app-based program that teaches women clinically validated cognitive behavioral therapy, pelvic floor physical therapy, nutrition changes, and also educates them about their disease and um, their the available treatments. And so we take on a whole slew of menstrual pain-related diseases. So we also cover adenomyosis, uh, interstitial cystitis, irritable bowel syndrome, and a few other diseases as well. Wow. So there's actually a lot of different diseases that affect menstrual pain. There are a ton. And unfortunately, a lot of women that suffer from menstrual pain have more than one disease. Okay. And so you really have to think about treatment um, you know, like a five-pronged approach. There's not really a magic bullet that's going to cure you of your pain. You really have to take care of the central nervous system. You have to take care of gynecological issues. You have to take care of musculoskeletal issues wow. and really take a holistic approach to it. Um, when did you launch this company? Um, so we incorporated in July of 2019, so last year. Oh, okay. And we just launched our app in January of 2020, so this year. Perfect. Is it on iOS and Google Play? Yep, it's on both of them. Perfect. And so a woman who is experiencing, you know, cramping to, you know, the degree that she's just really struggling or, you know, any cramping, she may want to just download your app, create a profile, and then you provide like um, plans or tutorials on how to figure out what's happening. Walk us through what the product is, the process looks like. Yeah. So right now we partner with health systems. Uh, self-insured employers and insurance companies who sponsor the app and then it's free for women and so what it looks like is what it looks like is we drive awareness through that employer to say severe menstrual pain is not normal there are things that you can do about it and once that woman gets onboarded she gets she goes through a list of questions that ask about uh, her medical history, her experience with the disease, whether she has a good healthcare provider um, who believes her. And then we tailor that experience based on the questions. So every week she gets a new list of action items essentially to say, this week you might wanna try cutting out red meat and see the effect mm-hmm. that it has on your pain. Um, we want to make sure that you're doing a certain amount of pelvic floor physical therapy that progressively gets harder. And really what the program's about is about changing your behavior and actually going out and doing things that are clinically proven to reduce your pain. And so we have a health coach that also works with the woman to try to tackle her top two or three things that she wants to get out of the program. Um, because everybody's different. Some people want to get off birth control. Some people want to find a practitioner. Um, some people want to prepare for their surgery. And so we meet women where they are and really try to honor whatever their specific goals are. Yeah, it sounds like you have different tracks. On average, how long is this program, this digital program? It's 12 weeks. 12 weeks, okay. Great, and it's sponsored by her employer or insurance? She doesn't have to pay for it? Yep, exactly. So we, we sell through those channels and we think that our value statement 
is that we can reduce overall healthcare spend. And so usually the employer insurance company is financially liable. And so we kind of have created a situation where we have aligned incentives where we can make some money off of it. The, the insurance company can save money. And the woman obviously has a much better experience because she's not bouncing around from gynecologist to gynecologist, constantly having all of these different appointments. I mean, I've talked with hundreds of women at this point. And one thing that really resonates is just feeling so dismissed and feeling so not believed. And I've had so many people say, I just end up crying in the parking lot after another mm, failed appointment. That is why I'm doing this podcast because mm-hmm. Femtech is... Yeah. Uh, filled with women crying in parking lots, right? In frustration. And it's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's so I have so many questions. Seriously, we're, we're just going to need you to come <laughs> back on the podcast. So, but here, we'll start with this one. Um, I think it's really, really interesting that you are targeting employers to get on board with your product. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you're getting employers to you know sponsor this app um get involved with it what do employers have to do with their employees menstrual cycles yeah so one big thing that people don't realize is that self-insured employers means that your employer actually pays for your health care cost. So they have this big bucket of money and it's not your insurance company paying for it, it's your employer paying for it. So at Boston Scientific, I have Blue Cross Blue Shield, but it's actually Boston Scientific that pays for our my medical claims. Mm. And so 60 to 70% of people are actually covered by their employer and their employer um, pays for their medical claims. So it's almost anyone over 500 to 1,000 employees have that type of structure. So first off, they have the financial structure there. The second thing that we're saying is there are now more women than men in the workforce and you are overlooking these super common diseases from a healthcare perspective and you aren't meeting the needs of these women. Um, So our epidemiology shows that 20% of women have some sort of menstrual pain disease. It's commonly known that one in 10 have endometriosis. And so we put statistics up there to say, here's how many people have depression. Here's how many people have diabetes. Those are two very common things that employers are investing in right now. And then we say, here's how many people have menstrual pain. And there are more women in your workforce that have menstrual pain diseases than have depression or diabetes. This is a huge problem that you guys aren't looking at. And it's causing a huge quality of life impact on your women. It makes them less productive at work. On average, people miss two to three days of work per month if they have severe menstrual pain. And so there's really strong aligned incentives where we can say, you can really be a female forward employer and support women in the workforce and you can save money and your employees are going to be more productive. One of the things we like to talk about on here is how can we um, get people convinced to care about femtech, whether that's investing their money into it or, you know, you know, promoting it, advertising it. And so what I'm hearing from you is that you get employers to support your product by using statistics about how much money they're losing and how prevalent it is. Am I hearing that right? So that is part of it, but we've actually learned that it's, it's, we can actually go more towards the emotional side. Oh, good. I'm glad to know that. I'm really glad to know that. Very much suffering. And we're fortunate because we sell into human resources and Mm. almost all human resource professionals are women and almost all women know someone that has endometriosis or, you know, they've had a friend go through that experience so they can relate to it. And we, we say 
this is what's going on. You need to really be a progressive employer and support these really basic women's health needs like menstruation. You know that a lot of your females, if not all of them, are menstruating and so many of them have a disease. Yes. And so we really we really bring the emotional side to it. And then we kind of say, oh, and by the way, your CFO will like you and support you because it's going to save money on the back end. Yes. So it's really that emotional thing that we we really target. Amazing. I love hearing that people are getting the story across and um, it doesn't just have to do about money. <laughs> you know, people actually can see the real mission here. Um, yeah, absolutely. Where are you located? So um, we have a distributed workforce. The majority of it is in Minneapolis. So I live in Minnesota. Got it. Awesome. You're the first Minnesotite on the show. How do you, what's the, what do y'all call yourselves? Minnesotans. Minnesotans. <laughs> um, yes, proud Minnesotans. Do you have active users on the app yet? Yep, so we have a couple hundred. Um, we have opened up our platform currently because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of women out there struggling because they've had their elective. I'm, I'm quoting right now, elective <laughs> surgeries canceled. They yeah. don't consider them elective because yeah. they've spent so long trying to wow. get to that point. And they finally feel like they're on the verge of getting pain relief. It takes an average woman 10 years to get diagnosed. So many of these wow. women have been struggling for decades and they feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And so we really see... Um, our role is stepping in and trying to fill in that care gap. So right now we've just made our platform free for anybody that wants to use it. We've gotten quite a bit of users enrolled in just the last two or three weeks to try to fill that gap of missing out on surgeries or missing appointments or missing physical therapy appointments. Yeah. Do you have any stories yet from users about their experience? Yeah, I had one, um, First off, the most amazing thing is that we always have someone reach out and just say, hey, I want to hear a little bit about your experience and what you're doing. And we get, I mean, I got a patient story the other day that was six pages long. And wow. she just sent over everything that she's experienced. And it's it's heartbreaking to read through it. But I read through every single one every single time. And mm -hmm. I respond and try to say, here's how I think that we can help you. And the first thing that we almost get from all women is, Thank you so much for listening to me. Thank you so much for actually taking the time and believing me. And so I think one thing that we've consistently heard is that the app makes the woman feel very heard and very understood and very empowered. Yeah. Um, so we've had people finally make it to experts. They feel like they have this set of symptoms that they can bring and evidence that they can bring uh, to actually get treated and overcome their pain. And so we've had some fantastic stories of women who have really reduced their pain just from all these different lifestyle changes and getting to the right provider. And I had one woman say that she's been brought to tears by what the app has brought her. So, Aww. I mean, and that means the world to me because ultimately that's what I'm doing all of this for is to try to help people. Yeah. Let's bring the tears from the parking lot into tears of joy, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's drive into the biology because as a geneticist, I am like, so excited to get into the biology of endometriosis, but also our listeners may not know what that is, you know, and me, many of them probably have it and many of them probably don't even know they have it, right? And so what is endometriosis? Tell me about the biology incidence rate. You said, you know, well, I'll just let you get into it. I'm so excited. Tell me about endometriosis. What is it? Yeah, so endometriosis is when the endometrial 
tissue. So endometrial tissue is found on the inside of the uterus and it's shed during a woman's period. So endometriosis is when tissue similar to that endometrial tissue, not exactly the endometrial tissue, is found outside the uterus. And I make that distinction very clear because there are misconceptions still from doctors that it is the endometrial tissue 100% and that the way that endometriosis occurs is called retrograde menstruation. So that just means instead of vacating your body during your period, it actually backflows and can escape out into the pelvis. Oh my gosh. Um, the reason that we know that that is not c the correct theory yeah. and it cannot explain all endometriosis is that that endometrial-like tissue that's indicative of endometriosis can be found anywhere in your body. So there are reports of obviously within the pelvis. So it can be found in, um, on and around your uterus. It can be found on your ovaries. It can also be found on your bladder or your bowel. And so you start to have um, different bladder symptoms like pain with urination or uh, pain when you have a full bladder. You can have uh, gastrointestinal symptoms if you have it on uh, part of your bowel. So you can have pain with defecation that only occurs during your period. You can actually have blood during defecation it, during your period because wow. again, it's that tissue that's literally bleeding and that's where it's located. Wow. Um, it can actually even be on the diaphragm. It can be, it's been found in the brain. And so it's really found all over the place. And that's why that simple retrograde menstruation hypothesis doesn't explain everything. Okay. So what the, so, the, the biology like, is really that, that tissue is all over and not just in the right place in the uterus. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the reasons that it's so difficult to diagnose is because it can have all sorts of different symptoms mm. that are related. You know, like I mentioned, there's gastrointestinal, there's urinary, there's gynecological, there's uh, pain with sex is very common. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, this whole array of symptoms and most providers, you know, they don't get that much training about this in medical school. And so, for example, if a woman comes to you and she says, every time I'm on my period, my arm hurts and you're a provider and you're like, <laughs> I don't know why your arm hurts during yeah. your period, uh -huh. but that's actually a telltale sign of diaphragmatic endometriosis. Wow. And wow. And they have this, like this, this two minutes to figure it out. Right. The doctor has two minutes exactly. to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have six minutes to try to tell all their symptoms to their doctor. Their doctor's like, have you tried birth control? And that's really the only treatment that most of these women are getting. Um, and so most women just don't get the proper treatment. They have to fight so hard in, in order to get it. How many women, um, at least in the U.S., because I know the statistics can be different based on, you know, uh, genetic backgrounds around the world, but in the U.S., how many women estimated have endometriosis? So it's, I believe, about 7.5 million in the United States. It's 1 in 10, generally a premenopausal population. You can have endometriosis after menopause as well because it can synthesize its own estrogen. Um, Around the world, the number that everyone knows is 176 million. So it is a gigantic amount. That's basically over half the size of the United States. Wow. That's how many women have endometriosis. And how many of them are diagnosed? Like, what's the percentage of diagnosed so versus not the diagnosed? Diagnosis rate. I don't have an exact number of diagnosed versus undiagnosed, but what I do know is it takes on average 10 years for a woman to get diagnosed oh my and gosh. generally costs about $30,000. Oh 
Wow. So 10 years, how many periods is that? Let's do a little math. It's 12, <laughs> 120 periods to figure yeah. it out. Oh my gosh. 120 yeah. times having your whole body like essentially bleeding from the wrong places. Um, and you, and women just think, well, periods suck. So I should just deal with it kind of thing. Right. Exactly. It's a stigma thing. Mm. Let's dive into that. So what is, um, uh, belief in women's pain and women's own lack of belief that their pain is legitimate. You know, like what, what's your experience around that? Do you have any statistics or your stories around that? Oh, I think that like the one thing that unifies these women is that they don't feel believed. It's mm. what happens across the board. Um, and going into a little bit of history about it, I was actually doing research into why that is. And it's, I talk with all of the specialist guys, gynecologists that we work with. And I'm like, why is this a thing? It doesn't make any sense. And I think part of it is because it affects women that are just beginning to menstruate up to 50. So, you know, it's young women who generally aren't just believed. And then on top of that, um, I was reading all this medical literature and even back into the sixties, they called it psychogenic menstrual pain. And oh my there are scientific God. studies scientific studies that say there is no reason why a woman's period should hurt. It's all in her head. And so, literally. I mean, it's all in her head. That's and what that's, they that's said. That's what, 50 years ago? Wow. It was not that long ago. And I was also doing another analysis where I was pulling diagnosis codes. So there's this standardized set of diagnosis codes that doctors use to uh, submit bills to insurance mm -hmm. companies. And up until sometime in the 2000s, the diagnosis code was psychogenic menstrual pain. Until when? It was in the 2000s sometime Whoa! that it got changed. Oh so my it's, gosh. It's, it's just this huge lingering thing. And then, you know, people don't like to talk about periods mm -hmm. for cultural taboo reasons. Um, a lot of times women also have heavy menstrual flow with this type of condition. People mm -hmm. don't want to hear about bleeding and vaginas and things like that. And yeah. So people just don't talk about it and kind of brush it under the rug, despite the fact that it's a huge issue. Yeah. Half of us are bleeding y'all in the, in the country. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> I want to jump into a little bit about, and we're still kind of on the biology train here, which I'm just soaking up. I'm loving it. Um, you said that two of the types of quote unquote treatment that you promote through your app is pelvic floor exercises and nutrition. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about why those have anything to do with treating endometriosis? Yeah, absolutely. So we chose our protocol because essentially what we did is digitize a program that was proven in a randomized controlled trial to improve outcomes. And from a biological perspective, the reason that pelvic floor physical therapy is helpful is because due to pain, you, your body has this natural reaction to do something called guarding, which basically means you tend your pelvic floor muscles mm. um, in response to pain. And if pain goes on long enough, then you have these constantly tightened pelvic floor muscles and it causes something called myofascial pain. And it's the same type of pain that you have if you have back muscle pain or knee muscle pain, it's just found in your pelvis. And just like you can stretch your back out if you have back pain, you can stretch your pelvic out or pelvis out if you have pelvic pain. And so that's kind of the uh, cor corollaries that I draw there. 
Um, and then on the diet side of things, people don't necessarily realize it, but this is a hormonally driven disease and your diet has a massive impact on your hormones. Mm -hmm. So there's things like endocrine disrupting chemicals that are found in certain things that you can avoid. Um, there's also certain things like red meat that have been proven in a trial to cause more pain. Mm -hmm. And then there's also some myths out there about dairy and uh, soy and all these things that people think might have an impact on their hormones, but probably have less of an impact um, than they actually are able to discern. Got it. And for just our listeners, because I'm all about educating our listeners um, without any shame, if they are not, they don't know what we're talking about. Can, can you just describe what the pelvic floor is? Yeah. So the pelvic floor is basically, if you are sitting down right now, you are sitting on your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. um, the easiest way to think about it is it's between your anus and your vagina, mm -hmm. and it's kind of everything that supports. It's a bowl in your pelvis that supports all of your different organs in there. So it supports your bladder, your bowel, your uterus, all those types of things are sitting on top of your pelvic floor. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. I like to get definitions on all these things that we may think are common, but you know, um, we did a little survey on how many people know what a, a vulva is versus, you know, a vagina. And it's, you know, words are important. Words are really important. And the definitions and the actual what those are is important. So, yeah. And so one thing we actually struggle with is getting women to realize where the pelvic floor is and how they can control those muscles. And so exercises you can do are imagine that you're trying to hold back urination. How do you do that? Mm. That's you tensing your pelvic floor. Another thing we say is like, pretend that you're trying to pick up a cherry with your vagina. That is also tensing your pelvic floor. So those are the muscles that get tight that we target with pelvic floor physical therapy. Wow. What's it like being a man pitching about menstruation mm. and picking up cherries with mm. your vagina? Like, what's that? <laughs> what is that like? <laughs> so far, I've actually gotten only a fantastic response from people. I think people are just really happy that men are starting to actually care about femtech mm -hmm. and really start to pick up on women's health conditions. And I think that in order to really move the field forward, we need to make sure that men are more on board. Um, I come from a generation, I think being a millennial, that it's less taboo and less stigmatized and we're starting to break down some of those mm -hmm. barriers, but we still have work to do. Um, I think the stranger situations are when I'm talking to another man and I'm <laughs> talking about picking up a cherry with your vagina or talking about extremely heavy menstrual flow and I'm getting in this kind of blank stare back. But I think that we need men need to start to have those types of frank conversations to say yeah. it is okay to use these words. It is not a big deal. It is not gross. It's literally just biology. Um, and so I think that once we start to normalize that and start to get more comfortable about that, then I think that only good things can come from it. Yeah. What do you have in terms of advice and how do we get more men involved in femtech? What do you think are some of the barriers to them getting involved in what is currently working? I think part of it is just educating them and talking about it and destigmatizing it, right? Mm -hmm. So if I had not had my experience with my mother, like I said, I didn't even know that my friends had endometriosis. I knew that they had some condition that they had surgery for, but I kind of left it at that. And I think that people should be open with what they're experiencing and their pain and their menstrual problems because it's really not gross in my opinion. And I think that the more we talk about it, 
the less stigmatized it becomes and the more normalized it is to actually discuss things out in the open. It's funny because as soon as people, as soon as women find out about what they, what I do, the floodgates open and I hear mm. about all of their different menstrual problems. And it was like they, they didn't feel comfortable discussing these things with me before. Yeah. But once they found out that I'm in women's health, they're totally fine with it. Yeah. And so I think that we just need to start talking about it with men more and getting them more on Wow, amazing. You keep referring to the surgery for endometriosis. What is this surgery? Yeah, so this is something that's really important and we teach within our app. So there's a few different types of surgeries that sometimes get recommended. Um, and so the big thing that we say is a, a typical gynecologist isn't a skilled surgeon that knows how to do endometriosis surgery. And so if you remember, I talked about how endometriosis can be found anywhere, right? Yeah. It can be found on your bladder, it can be found on your bowel. Some women get hysterectomies thinking it's going to cure them of endometriosis. Oh but why would you remove the uterus when the, the issue is on the bowel? And so the standard of care is something that's known as excision surgery. So if you're out there, make sure and you're considering getting endometriosis surgery, make sure you're getting excision surgery. It can be very difficult to find a provider that is an excision surgeon. Mm. Um, and there's all sorts of patient advocacy groups that do a fantastic job of vetting those types of surgeons like Nancy's Nook um, and really try to make sure that they're on the forefront of providing the, the best surgical abilities possible. Because another thing is if you have endometriosis on your bladder or your bowel, a gynecologist might not feel comfortable doing the surgery to remove it because they're going to be worried about damaging your bladder or bowel and causing more harm than good. And so there, there's a subgroup of gynecologists called minimally invasive gynecologic surgeons okay. that have done an additional fellowship around benign gynecological conditions. And so those are the types of people that have special interests in endometriosis and related diseases that are very skilled surgeons. Wow. Thank you. I actually, <laughs> a lot of my questions I already know the answer to because I'm just trying to educate our listeners, but I actually myself had no idea what kind of endometriosis surgery I honestly, I had a paradigm in my head that it was a hysterectomy. So I'm so glad I asked that. And, you know, that's part of my role as like the leader of Femtech Focus and the host of this podcast is to sh even let our listeners know that the host doesn't know what the hell, you know, is, are these things, you know, I, I didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah. And so over, so 70% of women with endometriosis get surgery within one year of diagnosis and over 50% of those are hysterectomies. Oh my gosh. Um, and you just said that's not even the cure. Not a cure. It does work for some women, but yeah. not all women. And think about, I've talked with women that are in their late twenties that are like, screw this. I haven't had kids yet, oh. but I just can't stand to be in pain. They have a hysterectomy. It doesn't put a dent in their pain because it's oh. on their bladder or their bowel and now they can't have kids. So that's like the worst case scenario. We're trying to make sure that that never happens to anybody. Wow. What are some of your future goals for Vasana Health? Yeah. So our first goal is just trying to reach as many women and improve the quality of lives of as many women as possible. We want to expand to some related conditions like polycystic ovary syndrome and uterine, uterine fibroids, which are these other high prevalence, extremely underserved populations that most people don't even consider because they're also still kind of taboo right now. And there's also a big overlap between endometriosis and those related diseases. Well, we'd love to have you back on the podcast to talk about uterine fibroids because I don't know what those are. And I think I want to talk to you for another 30 minutes about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, 
So if somebody wants to start a femtech company, we have a lot of listeners that are aspiring entrepreneurs. They love this field. They think it's, you know, um, super socially impactful. It's also a huge market size, but they don't know what to innovate yet. What are some areas in women's health and wellness that still need innovating that they should consider, you know, working in? I think that there's a huge opportunity in sex tech. So one thing that we aren't able to do with our pelvic floor physical therapy are things like vaginal dilators. We just don't have a good connected vaginal dilator device that really teaches women to A, use one because they're intimidating. You don't really necessarily know what to do with it. Um, I think that is a huge uh, opportunity. I think doing better telehealth for pelvic floor physical therapy right now is another big opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there is a whole burgeoning field of, have you heard of direct primary care? I barely, so I'm sure my listeners haven't. So let, what is so, it? <laughs> so direct primary care is something where you can basically buy a subscription service to a general practitioner and you pay mm. a monthly fee instead of paying by the visit. And then you get a higher degree of service. Yeah. Most of them are just normal general practice uh, physicians. I think that there's a huge opportunity there to have women's health uh, direct primary care where you can really get everything that I just talked about under one roof in a brick and mortar setting. Oh so you could gosh. have all of your different women's health needs. I think that would be hugely impactful. Yeah. Like a subscription service for all in one women's health and wellness. Exactly. And you can have all your dietitians, all your pelvic floor, physical therapy, your gynecologist all right there. Dang, that might be my next company. <laughs> that's awesome. That was a, that's a really good idea because there's all of these different professionals that women need and from OB-GYNs to perinatal, you know, for uh, fetal medicine to breast cancer to pelvic floor to like literally all of it. All of it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's still hard to piece all those pieces together when you're the, the patient or the consumer. And it's it's difficult to know when you should be going to any of those certain things. And so those services that are really important end up being underutilized a lot of the time. Yeah. And not, not to mention all those doctors not communicating with one another about their single patient they're all seeing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, listeners, you have a lot to work on there. There's a lot of, <laughs> as we say in every episode, there's so many more innovations that need to happen. So the world is your oyster. Um, Joe, we like to ask all of our guests um, the same question, which is, what does the femtech as an industry need the most right now? I think general awareness is the most important thing. So I think we need to continue to talk about these things. I think we need to talk about the magnitude of these problems, the impact that they're having on women's health, the stories of what's going on out in the field right now, because it's honestly just a travesty that these are really basic women's health needs and no one likes to talk about them. And so I think that just bringing an entire awareness to femtech as an industry is going to continue to be important. I think everything else from that kind of cascades down. So once people realize the magnitude of the issues, they're going to start investing it mm -hmm. and they're going to start creating their companies. And so if we have that awareness, I think we can push the whole field forward. Do you have any ideas for how we can make femtech people more aware of it? I'll have to get back to you on that. I mean, besides <laughs> like what you're doing right here with this podcast is amazing, but we need to start pulling in people from outside femtech too, yeah, yeah. to start to also get other people excited. I yeah. mean, having this core group is hugely important, but we have to start reaching further and further and further and bringing more people in. That's right. 
Well, Joe, this has been so informative. I learned a lot. This has been a fantastic conversation. You are the first man on our podcast, um, not the last by far, because this is not a female founder podcast. This is a femtech podcast, and I'm really grateful. You are a first guy. You have set the bar super high uh, for all the other men we have coming on on the show. Um so if somebody, if a listener, a woman is struggling with menstrual pain, um, she should go to the App Store and download Vasana Health? Yep, and just email me, joe at vasanahealth.com, or go to our website, vasanahealth.com, and you'll find plenty of ways to contact us. And I can get you a free access code right now because we are providing free access during the COVID-19 crisis. Perfect, perfect, amazing. Well, thank you, Joe, so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Joe Connolly. I legit learned so much about what causes endometriosis, the history of the medical field and how it's perceived it, and treatments available. If you are experiencing intense pain during your period, I highly recommend downloading Vasana Health app. They're offering a free membership to the platform during the COVID-19 pandemic. If you're a business owner and would like to engage with Joe about offering Vasana Health to your employees, contact Joe through their website at vasanahealth.com. My last ask is for listeners talk about periods with a man, whether you talk about your own period or periods in general. Let's get men involved in the conversation. Share this episode with them. My experience has been that when Men are told that they won't be shamed or, you know, it's a safe space to ask questions. The questions just flow, pun intended. Men actually do want to know about this stuff. And um, if you open that door and and show them this judgment-free zone, I have experienced them to be incredibly curious about it. So provide them a platform to talk about it. And if you are a dude, then... First of all, thank you for listening to this podcast. Hell yeah, I want to meet you. Uh, Follow us, message us, but also talk to your other male friends about periods. You may experience that blank stare that Joe is describing, but the uteruses of the world need you to do this for us. Please talk to your dudes about periods. If you enjoyed hearing about Joe's work and learning about endometriosis, then please support the podcast by sharing with a friend, put it on your social, tag us, and then subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Until next time, keep innovating and remember, improving women's health improves everyone's health. So go talk to a dude about your cramps. If you're a dude, then ask your lady friends about theirs, and let's keep the conversation going to destigmatize periods. periods.